All right, so I think this is a true statement. I think it is. I, and here it goes. <clears throat> it is harder now than in maybe the last 50 years to be a biblical Christian as, I'd say, opposed to a cultural Christian. It's been harder to do that in the last, in the last few years than it is in the, in the previous 50 years. A biblical Christian is a person that says uh, the Bible is the absolute authority on defining what is right and wrong, what is real and what is true, because the Bible is from God and it speaks for God about things that are right and wrong, what is real and true. A cultural Christian is a person that, that yeah, they read their Bibles and they attend various, you know, church events and are actively engaged in church things, those sorts of things, but their authority is, their authority is the culture itself. And they do whatever, you know, the media tells them to do or the powers to be. And here's why it's especially difficult now, because now the algorithms have found us out and they, they know exactly what to push our way to uh, excite our fears and our anger. And it, and that algorithm is telling us what is right and wrong and what is real and what is true. And so we just obey. It's been true in the past, and it's still true today. Cultural Christians have been either actively involved or passively permissive in some of the worst human sins that have ever been committed. Cultural Christians were in those events. They either let them happen or they were part of it happening. And the reason they're able to do that is because a cultural Christian their minds are not conformed to the, to the mind of God. Their minds are conformed to the culture. And in their Bible reading and in their activities within churches, they're just going for validation of cult cultural values. And they say, look, I've got a Bible verse maybe that uh, explains why I can hold that. A biblical Christian tries to, as much as we can, with an open mind, go into the passages and say, whatever is clearly communicated then I'm gonna do whatever I can that, that is the best and the most effective way of expressing this value. That's, that's what a biblical Christian is. Cultural Christianity, honestly, is scary to me. It, it frightens me. And the reason is, is because I, I wanna ask myself, how am I being a cultural Christian? Am I a cultural Christian? Am I just doing what everyone's do, asking and telling me to do. When I was younger and when I was in my 30s, I would regularly look back at church history or human history and look back and, and look at those places and times. And, and of course, I would be on this courageously on the side of, of righteousness and truth. And I, I would be there to like intervene in the radical racism that was taking place in our country. And why not just go back a few hundred years and say, I would have been there to help stop slavery in the first place. Because you know, every human life is sacred and every human life counts. So I would have been there for that. And then I think, you know what? I probably would have been there for child labor laws. And that's not a tool for you to use. That's a human being and it's a child. And so stop that because every life is sacred. And, you know, I'd probably be involved in the stopping of the Nazi, you know, sweep across Europe because they were killing uh, people that were Jewish because they felt like Jews weren't really even completely human. And so I would Man, one of those people that stepped in and risked their lives, given their lives maybe, because every life is sacred. Every human life is sacred. It's easy to see that. When I was in my 30s, I could see myself being that hero. And here's the thing. Historical 
Heroism is cheap. Doesn't cost a thing. It's fun to fantasize about, you know, and be romantic about what I would have done if I'd have been there. And one of the problems with growing old is I, I've seen men and women that are Bible scholars and actually men of character that far surpass anything I even hope to do. And I've seen those men crater to cultural values going against what the Bible teaches because it was going to affect the bottom line. It's going to be hard to raise money. It's going to affect donors if we go this route. And I think if they could do that, I could probably do that too. So I, I asked myself, am I a pawn you know, to cultural values or I'm, am I driven by strictly by biblical values? Am I one of the lemmings that are just like in the herd doing whatever or am I different? Here's how you know. Here's how you know that like, if you'd have lived in the past, you would have, you would have given power to the powerless or represented them. You, here's how to know that you could have been a hero and giving a voice to the people that couldn't speak up. How you could defend those who couldn't defend themselves. Here's how you know you would have been that in the past. What are you doing right now? In the present. Where it costs something. Where there's an actual consequence for courage towards the people that have no power. Are you, give, are you bringing a voice to the people that don't have a voice? Are you defending those that cannot defend themselves? Because if you're not doing it now, you wouldn't have done it that, back then. I think a mark of maturity becoming like Christ in all of life is what I would call, what I would call cultural courage. The ability to just stand up the culture and not care and pay whatever bill it takes. The willingness to just be different. Not to be different for different sake. That's it's being an adolescent, it's being different because you like believe that are, there's absolute truth. Being different because it helps people that can't help themselves. Be, being different because for the glory of God, you're just going to stand out. That's why. And so today we're going to look at a subject that gives us an opportunity to stare at something and say, okay, what are we going to do about this? Are we going to be a biblical Christian or a cultural Christian? And that's the theme is the sanctity of human life. And the subject is very easy to ignore because it's very uncomfortable to talk about. And, and there's, <laughs> there's a lot of passages in the Bible that make me uncomfortable and I don't like where they're going and they're going to cost me something and maybe even bring up some old things that I don't want to reconsider. But what we need today, and that's why we prayed, is we need a courage that transcends our anxiety, maybe our guilt, maybe our fear. And let's, let's go into it. We're going to look at passages today that look at the sanctity, the sacredness, the value of human life from God's point of view. And I want to say up front that I've, I've, I've been looking at this and studying it for way over 30 years. And I have come to some conclusions based on various disciplines of study. Uh, and I and I want you to know that I, I, I'm gonna, I might come across as someone that like, is absolutely sure and, my, and it might come off as self-righteous. And if it does, I hope that doesn't keep you from wanting to listen because it's a very important subject that everyone needs to, to consider. Like if it took me 30 years, maybe it'll take you that time as well. I'm all for that as long as you're on the journey facing that direction and in seeking truth at whatever cost. 
And in, my, in what I'm talking about here, seeking the truth, where I would consider my strong conviction is that absolute truth comes from an outside source, the holy Yahweh of God that has communicated to us in his holy writ that we call the Bible. And so I'm going to look at some passages that I tend to go towards when I think about how, how do we evaluate the sanctity of human life even before that person is born. So that's what we're looking at today. When I look at the, the value of human life, it's easy to start in Genesis chapter 1, the foundation. Genesis 1.26 says, and then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And here's, here are the attributes of God in many respects. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And this is a declaration that a man and a woman are different in kind, not in degree. No one has this declaration of value from God saying, this is in our image. I'm going to give them the right of sovereignty. They're co-regents with the planet. I'll let them rule. And so every, every human being is sacred and set apart, not like any other created thing. So... A human egg is not a human, and a human sperm is not a human. But when that egg penetrates, or I'm sorry, when that sperm penetrates and invades that egg, then a radical change takes place chemically and biologically. And you can see that now because of the power of our microscopes. You can see that radical biological chemical change. But I'm here to tell you that something's radical change is taking place in a spiritual context. Because at that moment, that's when God says, now I'm going to begin a relationship with a created being that's in my image. Now I'm engaging in the process of weaving that person. And in Psalm 139, it's poetic, but I want you to listen to like, not what, just what it says, but what it means and the difference it makes. And that is, he's talking about an intimate relationship from the beginning with God, Yahweh God Almighty. Look, look what Psalm 139, before a breath is taken, this is the interaction we have with the Holy Spirit. For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou dost weave me in my mother's womb. And I give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul, it knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from thee, even when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, thine eyes, have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book there are written, all written, the days that were ordained for me when there was not even one of them. The big mood and the message of Psalm 139 is this connection with God Almighty while we're being, the word is woven Chosen, we know, thread colors being picked by God to make you, you, make me, me. And that was an intimate relationship before we had our first breath. Another way of trying to evaluate the sanctity or the value or the sacredness of human life is look, look at the cost of human life when that life is taken. If you look at the legal system in the Old Testament, you can see the worth of a fetus is very similar to the worth of an adult when you see a law that specifically decrees it so. Look at chapter 21 of Exodus. It says, when men strive together and they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there's no harm, then the one who hit her shall surely be fined. 
you know, what the woman's husband shall impose, and then he shall pay whatever the judge determines. But, but, but listen, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, and eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, sorry, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And so before we talk about the bar fight where the woman gets hit here, uh, look at, look at the, the, second, the second section there, the life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's called lex talionis, and I know, I know, I know. It sounds like a Harry Potter spell, right? I don't know, pull out a wand, lex talionis. And what it really means is it's, it's the law of just laws. It's the laws of reciprocity. It's the law of, of retribution. And what it means is, is that the, the punishment must fit the crime. It's, it's an idea of equity, that no one's getting out of this thing any richer than they should. Lex talionos, it's, it, people accuse it of being barbaric and primitive, but in fact, a lot of law is written based on this. First of all, it's not literal. If you hit me and knock out a tooth, I don't get to hit you back and knock out one of your teeth. That would be awesome. But it's, the idea is what, who's that, what is the value of that tooth? It's a, it's, a, it's a principle of fairness. It's against abuse. It is not abusive. It's because if you, some of it, if you look at the idea of the Middle East, you know, you, you steal a loaf of bread and you get your arm cut off. That's not lex talionis. That's not fair. And so we, we say punishment fits the crime. We use this all every time we get in a fender bender because here's what happens. Fender for fender. Bumper for bumper. Just like I, I had original parts. I want original parts back. I just eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. So that's, that's, that's that principle. Now let's go back to the passage. Two men are fighting. Something happens. Somebody bumps into a woman who's, who's with child. She falls down and the child is born prematurely. She didn't go into labor all by herself. So then it's like, okay, everybody stop. Let's wait. Let's see what's happening. Is there any injury to the child or to the mother? Not so much. Okay. Well, the guy who hit her is still going to get fined. Whatever her husband wants and the judge says, that, okay, that's fair. But, but if there is any injury to the mother or to that newborn, here we go. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Let's go to Lex Talionis on that. And here's why. Because the value of that mother is the same as the value of that newborn that child that was a fetus just moments ago. They're the same. They have the same weight. They have the same consequence. It's bumper to bumper. There's, uh, Umberto Casuto is one of the premier scholars in Hebrew. And he's, he was a professor all around Europe in the Second World War. He ended up in Jerusalem. And he specialized in uh, defending and then translating the Pentateuch. His, here's his translation of Exodus 21, just so we're clear. When men strive together and they hurt unintentionally a woman with child and her children come forth and there is no mischief happens, then that is the woman and the child do not die. The one who hurt, he shall surely hurt her shall surely be punished by a fine. But if any mischief does happen, and that is the woman dies or the child, children die, then you shall have life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The law of just justice, Lex Telionis says this. It says, if you take a man's life or a woman's life, it'll cost you your life. If you take the life of a, of a child causing it to be born prematurely, it's going to cost you your life because they're the same. It's the same cost. And you know why? Because every human life is sacred. 
in the eyes of God. When you look at the Newer Testament, you, it's, a, it's a way of determining value and equity. If uh, we look at the book of Luke, uh, Dr. Luke wrote this biography of Jesus. And in the first few chapters, he's specifically choosing words intentionally. At this church, we believe that the Bible is supernaturally preserved word for word without error so that we can learn from those details of those words. So I'll read from you Luke chapter 21. You might know the first two, time, the first two chapters we read from, they're part of the Christmas story. In this, in this section, Elizabeth is pregnant with what would become John the Baptist, and Mary has come to visit her, Mary, mother of Jesus. Here's what happens. In those days, uh, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country down to, uh, down to the town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, you circle the word baby there, that word in Greek is brephos. Just keep that in mind. This fetus is a brephos. Let's continue. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And, and why? Why is it to be granted to me that the mother of, of my Lord shall come and visit me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, my baby in my womb leaped with joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be fulfillment on what was spoken to her from the Lord. That baby that jumped for joy, circle that, that's a brephos. John, before he's born, is a brephos because brephos means fetus and he can have joy. Okay, go over a chapter. This is where the angels are explaining to the shepherds where to find Jesus, a newborn child. Here's what happens. And it came to be a sign, this is the sign to you, the angels are saying, that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. There's that word baby, there's brephos. But now brephos means a newborn. Let's keep reading. And then they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. There's baby again, there's brephos again, newborn. And he goes on and says, and then when he saw it, he made, uh, they they made known that the saying that they'd been told concerning the child was true. The, the word child there is now a new Greek word. Circle that. That comes off as a Greek word that means child, commonly uses child. Point is, the brephos, brephos child, now, it, it means newborn. Clearly, it means newborn. Now we go to Luke 18. Here's the story. Women are bringing their children uh, in the presence to Jesus so Jesus could lay hands on them and bless them. Okay? That's what's happening. And now they were, they, the women, the mothers, were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. There's the word brephos. But now brephos isn't a fetus. It's not even newborn. These are children like what we would call toddlers. I'll show you how that works. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked the women. Uh, But Jesus called to them and said, look, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such For such of these belongs to the kingdom of God. There's that second, that new Greek word for children that we saw in Luke chapter 2. Not brephos, but this children. So the women weren't coming in saying, you know, put your hands on my stomach. They weren't coming in saying, put your hands on my newborn. It's children because they are the foundation for the kingdom of God. Look at the next sentence. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. 
In that context, the, the child or children that he's speaking of is what we would call a toddler today. And Jesus is saying, you've got to have kind of the heart and mindset of this toddler, this innocence, to experience and enjoy the kingdom of God. The idea is that brephos here means child or, or toddler. Brephos means a toddler. It means a newborn. It means a fetus. And I, you know, I'd love to just like explain this simply like fundamental algebra, right? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. But I know fundamental algebra is not why you came to church today and it's not helping. So let me make it clear this way. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that he might die and be raised again to save these toddlers. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die and be raised again so that he might save these newborns. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that he might die and be raised again to save these brephos, fetus. If he saved the brephos as a toddler and as a newborn, he saved them as a, as a fetus. That's the value. Why would God send his son for that? Because every human life is sacred. That's why. Every human life is sacred. So you look at these passages, and there's other passages, they, they bring you into a place to ask the question, so what are we supposed to do? And what, like, what can we do? How do we, as adults, acknowledge this value from God, contrary to culture, and say, how do we bring power? Because we can, and represent the powerless. How do we bring a voice to those who don't have a voice? How do we defend those who are defenseless? That's what I want to talk about today. I don't care if it shocks the culture. I don't care if it goes against that because we can't sit by, right? We can't be passively acknowledging it or actively involved in it. We have to, like, we have to do something about these children that are being lost. And most of the children that are being taken are in minority status. What are we going to do, you and I? Let's look at what we can do about the future Let's look how we can do something right now in the present, and let's look at what we could do about maybe our past that we're not so happy about, okay? First, in the future, in the future, I would like for you parents to do this. Make your living room a safe place for your son or daughter to come in and sit down and have a conversation where they say, we have an unplanned pregnancy. You work backwards from there. You rehearse that with your husband or wife, and you get ready for that possible or potential conversation so that, so that it's an easy thing for your child to have. Make your living room so safe that they could bring a friend, you know, one of their, one of their girlfriends or boyfriends over to your house and say, Mom, what do we, Dad, what, what should we do? They have an unplanned pregnancy, and they're afraid to go home. You, you do what you need to do to practice th th this, having this revelation, and there's no shame in that. And there's, like, no embarrassment or inconvenience. You throw that in cultural garbage can, those values, and just say, how do I care for you? How do I love you through this? How do we work our way 
from here. So I think when we talk about the future, if you're a, a parent, you need to start right now. So you're not like surprised. It's a good thing. And it's a good thing for your friends, for your children's friends. Now the present, what do we do right now about right now? Well, I can't do this by myself. So I've asked uh, Mary Whitehouse, my, Mary Whitehurst to come on up. She's with Austin Source. You wel- please welcome Mary Whitehurst. To- Beautiful to have you here. Uh, Austin Source, formerly Austin Life Care, we, it was founded by a couple of the members here at Grace Covenant Church because even way back in the day, over 25 years ago, we wanted to bring life and love and comfort to people in very difficult situations. And so we've been part of that, of, of that ministry for so many years, and they do it so much better than we could as a church. And so let's just keep, keep doing that. I wanted Mary to come and tell us a little bit about what's going on at Austin Source and how we may, might be able to play a part. Uh, let's start with the future. Let's start with prevention. Okay, great. Well, good morning, Grace Covenant. It's so good to see everybody. Um, it's amazing to be back here after the crazy last 18 months that we've had. Yeah. Um, but we have always had a three-pronged approach um, to being able to help reduce the, the amount of abortions that are happening in our city. Um, we have prevention, intervention, and restoration. With prevention, for over 30 years, we have had a program called Lifeguard that we present in schools around the area. And this is a sexual risk avoidance program. The main goal being to empower students to know that they can make countercultural decisions. They can delay sexual, sexual activity Um, and they can make healthier decisions about their sexual health. So we go into schools, we have this amazing interactive program that went completely digital in COVID. We have an amazing program director that kept that going. So even with not being able to go into the schools, we saw over 14,000 students this last school year and were able to still present this program. Um, And with with that being something we've always had, wanting to get ahead of uh, kind of further upstream, to get to students before they're experiencing an unplanned pregnancy to empower them to make better choices. We recognize though that there is also a space to be able to um, give proper care and education to young women through gynecological services, also to try to build relationship before they have an unplanned pregnancy. And so in the midst of COVID last May, we launched our clinic and we were able to start offering STI testing um, and treatment for free, so that's sexually transmitted infections, as well as while women exams and pap tests, um, and also access to contraceptive care, we realized that one of the ways that we can help to reduce abortion rates is to help reduce the amount of women who have unplanned pregnancies. And so all of the care and all of the um, things that we're providing are uh, with the, the, the goal and the focus of being able to do that. Right, and, and strategically, some of, some of the reasons um, the source wanted to go into women's health is to, is to establish uh, a safe living room, uh, a relationship with someone that says, this is a safe living room. Before you even come in the door, we want you to know that you can trust us and we're here to care for you. Yes. And since they've already decided to make some decisions that are risky sexually, that wasn't your choice, that was their choice. Why don't we start the relationship before they have an unplanned pregnancy, right? right? Yeah, and we see that that's what's happening, especially with some of the um, the organizations in the abortion industry. They're establishing relationship early, so when that woman gets pregnant, they'll go back to them, but they're going to be encouraging them to get an abortion, whereas then we're gonna be encouraging them to think about the, the weight of that decision. And so trying to build these relationships early, we've already started to see God do some amazing things in that space. Um, We started doing gynecological care last spring, and we had a young woman who came to us because she thought she might have an STI, wanted to get tested and treatment, wanted to get an exam. We were able to serve her. Now, part of creating this relationship 
relationship and making sure that we're the safe space that women can come back to to give more holistic care to is how, making sure they have a great experience when they first see us. But when they are in trouble, if they do find themselves with an unplanned pregnancy, we want them to come back to us. We had a young lady very recently, last week, who had come to us last spring. Um, unfortunately, she had a traumatic experience going out downtown, doesn't know what happened to her, woke up in an alley, all her clothes were gone, too afraid to go to the hospital, but she called this source. Yeah. This did not hit me like this in the first service. Yeah. Um, sorry. So to know that the relationship and the connection she built with our nurse practitioner months ago made this a safe space for her to come and get an exam, an STI test after probably being assaulted, and also knowing that when she comes to us, not only can we care for her physically, but we have a counselor that can talk to her. We have a spiritual coordinator who can sit and pray with her. So we'll be able to take care of her in a much more holistic way. Right. That's a beautiful story in some respects. It has redemption in it. Mm -hmm. uh, what about present? What, what, what are you doing right now in the context of not necessarily prevention, but what, what, do you, mm -hmm. what do we do with the current? So the intervention piece of what we do is when women come to us, they call all the time looking for a pre-pregnancy test or ultrasound because they think they may be pregnant. Almost all of them are unexpected. Um, and some of them are in a, a state of crisis where they're a little bit freaked out, they're not sure what to do. A lot of women who come to us are considering an abortion. So we're giving them a safe space to have that conversation, to really weigh all of those options, and to really talk through what are the obstacles. Because very few women that we sit down with want to have an abortion. They just feel like they don't have any other choice. So we can help them start to see how we can remove some of those barriers. We start to give them hope that they have other options that they can choose. So we have the ultrasound, we have the pregnancy test, we have professional counseling, we have uh, case management now, so we have someone who can walk with them through some of those phases. Spiritual care is huge because a lot of women that we serve have some faith background and haven't even let their minds go to that space of how does this affect my faith. Right. Um, so we're able to provide education and really just wrap around care because we want to be able to, to walk with her throughout whatever decision she makes. Um, but also we recognize that when that woman does choose life, when she decides to have that baby, Getting her through the pregnancy in a lot of regards is the easy part. When she has her baby is when her life is going to turn upside down. And so we walk with women from the point that they walk into the clinic to find out they're pregnant through their baby turning three years old. Wow. Um, because we want to make sure that they have the support, whether that's a mentor or classes or diapers every month, to be equipped to be able to be good parents. Right. Caring for them. It's not a one and done, out the door, thanks so much. Right. Wow. So uh, what about, the, I mean, you can't, do, you can't undo the past. What about people that have experienced abortion or encouraged strongly, insisted upon having an abortion mm -hmm. and they're living with, I don't know, the ruin in their life and, and, and trying to put this thing down and it just keeps coming back up? Mm -hmm. So the restoration part of our ministry is that we provide a safe space for women to walk through healing um, from past abortion, from sexual abuse, from pregnancy or infant loss. Um, we recognize that there was a study done, I think in 2018, that said that about 40% of women who've chosen to have an abortion were a part of a local church when they made that decision. So that means that there are women sitting in congregations all across the country who are probably carrying a really hard secret. Um, and need to have restoration and healing. Um, Grace has always done an amazing job. You all have facilitators that are trained here to do those, those Bible studies as well. But we wanna make sure that we can meet women wherever they are um, and that they know that God still loves them, that he is redeeming them, forgiving them, and can restore that brokenness. You bet. Uh, and even today, uh, we've, we've arranged for two ladies to come up front after the last song. 
And if somebody would like, you would like to just get information or receive counseling or have someone pray for you because you're working through some past action that you want to like kind of finally come out and say something about, the truth will set you free. Mm. The truth will set you free. Hiding does not. Shame is powerful only when it's hidden. Once it comes out to the light, it evaporates. So if, you, if you'd like to talk to someone, someone will be available. And also, as, as Mary mentioned, uh, we have at least two ladies in our church that are already trained for some of the post-abortive uh, counseling and Bible studies. If you'll get in touch with Melissa, our women's director, through the website, she'll set that up and get it going as soon as possible. Yes, yes. So some other things that happened during COVID yes. is tell us about, your, what is it, the mobile unit that you guys are, have yes. up and running. I'm sure that you all probably saw our big, big mama is what we call her, our big pink RV that's out front. Yeah. Um, and this is something that was about three years in the making that we were actually able to launch um, in May. And this is a mobile clinic. So it's an RV that's been completely renovated. It has two exam rooms in it. So we have one exam room we can do gynecological care and another one for ultrasounds. And it's been a journey, um, but a God story <laughs> that is come out of that um, is that we launched it May 21st and we have two churches that are partnering with us and allowing us to park in their neighborhoods because part of the mobile clinic and the vision for it is to get where the women are. There are a lot of women who have several different challenges that can't get to our clinic, but if we can come and park in their neighborhood where they can walk up and get those services, then we're going to be more effective. Um, we launched on May 21st, and of course, after our first day out in the community, the AC went out in the middle of the Texas heat. Um, and so we had some mechanical work done. We've had all kinds of things that got to be rewired, and we got it out again this past week. So on Friday, we were in Southwest Austin, and I got a text from our clinic director that said, we have our first patient. <laughs> and that is three years in the making to <laughs> yeah. get our first woman served with an ultrasound to show her her baby for the first time wow. on Friday. Um, so yes, thank God for that. That's been amazing. Well, uh, by all means, it's out in the parking lot and they have, she brought some of her volunteers and paid staff to tell you more about it. Take a look. It, they've re overhauled it. Anybody as an RV knows all these stories about things breaking. So yeah, but uh, it's a beautiful, again, it's just this, this feeling almost like a spa. It's a safe place. It's a good place. I want to talk to somebody about something that's tender to me. Uh, it made that available. That's great. What are some other things that happened during that crazy COVID time for you guys? Well, we were able to pivot pretty quickly. Um, we have an amazing team. I thank God for them every single day. We were only, we only had to close the clinic for a couple of weeks just to kind of reevaluate how to see women safely. But one thing we realized very quickly is we had to get them in for those ultrasounds. That's such a life-changing moment when they can actually see the baby and actually it kind of sinks in the, the reality of what's happening. Um, and so we were able to shift, do intakes over the phone, serve women virtually, then get them into to the clinic to do their ultrasound, um, but we have survived. Um, with God's grace, we are now open completely. All of our staff is back in the clinic. We're open every day, um, our regular operating hours, um, and we've really, really been able to see God continue to do amazing things. Um, we have women who come in all the time. Um, we had a woman come in last week, was 12 weeks pregnant. A lot of women come in thinking about abortion, have no idea how far along they are. So when they sit down to have that ultrasound and they see that baby, they see that heartbeat. The woman who came in last week, her baby put on a show, was all over the screen, 12 weeks, that's a, that's a well-formed baby. Um, and she was with tears in her eyes and just said, I, I, 
I, I can't, I can't not have this baby. Um, and so to see women's hearts be changed in those moments is amazing. And to see our staff, who God has walked through such amazing healing, and so many of the women who work with us, to be able to sit with women and say, hey, I had an abortion when I was your age, and this is how it's impacted my life. Or I walked through some of these significant financial and medical issues that you're facing, and this is what we've seen happen. Um, it, it makes a huge difference to have, to have those conversations. Well, I think, uh you know, our church, how do we help? How can we serve you guys? How do we make the source a better place? Well, I, one will just say that Grace has been amazing. I have to tell you all, I, I'm glad I get to be here to personally tell you thank you because when COVID hit, you were one of the first congregations to rally around us and do a big diaper drive, um, which was amazing because our moms were calling us freaking out because they couldn't find diapers anywhere. And so you all gathered diapers lots and lots of diapers. I can't even remember how many boxes you all turned in, but thank you all for always being right alongside us. Um, there has been so much that has happened this past year. Um, in ministry, as I'm sure many of you know, the spiritual warfare is strong and real and always there. And it's been, it's been a tough six months for our team. We've gotten hit from a lot of different sides. So we are always asking for prayer. We need to know that the people are bathing the source in our team in prayer and know that we're always praying for you all as well. Um, we're finally in a season where we can invite volunteers back. And so we're really getting excited about being able to have more people in the clinic, working directly with our moms, working directly with our dads, you men out there, we, we need men as well. Um, and really being able to start to form that network of support around each of our moms so that they know that they have people they can depend on. Um, and then lastly, you know, we always need support to make sure we can keep the lights on and the doors open. Um, this ministry is really driven by the hearts of the women who work there and the generosity of people who come alongside us to make sure that we can do this work. Grace, you all have always been so faithful. Thank you for that. Um, and so as God leads, if you want to continue to partner with us in any of these three ways or all of these three ways, we welcome you. Um, and we thank you so much for your support. Thank you, Mary. Well, let, me, let me make some things clear. Like one, one is, uh, if you want to volunteer, go to the source, actually the source Austin, go to their website or call them and see if there's a possibility for you to volunteer. In the context of giving, we're trying to make it super easy for us to give in the next two or three weeks here at Grace. On our website, when you just go down one little thing, you're going to see the source logo. When you click on that, it's going to send you to our giving page and then you do the drop down menu and hit the source. And you can give, look, it's $1,000 already filled in. You just hit pay. So there. <laughs> How could, we're doing everything we can. Uh, so you can go through our website. That would be great. We, we, have, uh, we have envelopes in, in the court, in the foyer there. You can uh, make a check out to the source. It makes it a lot easier on our accounting if you do, uh, make that out to the source. But one of the things, you know, our average giving to the source over the last three years has been in, in excess of $65,000. And I want us to, we got to at least get to $65,000 this year. And I think we should go over $100,000. And we're going to do that by, well, let's prime the pump. We've had a summer of giving here, and we're going to start our giving today with giving you $50,000. We're off. Thank you for that. If the people of Grace give... 60 or 70, then we're bumping way over $100,000. I can't even. I already had my ugly cry in the first service when you <laughs> surprised me with this. Um, thank you so all fun. so much for that just overwhelming generosity. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You bet. You know, when I think about this issue and just issues of, of, of dramatic consequence, 
I, I go back to this movie I saw when I think I was in high school. It was called Patton. It's the life of George S. Patton. And it opens up with this giant flag and Patton standing there. And he's, he's motivating the troops uh, by telling them, don't regret this moment. He says, what are you going to do when the Nazis were running across Western Europe? What are you going to do that you stayed home and didn't fight this battle, didn't give your life for this kind of freedom? What are you going to say? You were shoveling manure in Kansas? Is that what you're going to tell them? When I think about this sanctity of human life, I think, you know, someday a grandchild might come to me and Melinda and say, what did you do? Were you a culture Christian or were you a biblical Christian? Were you just talking about things? Were you passively allowing them? You didn't actively participate. What did you do? And we, I want to be able to tell them, yeah, it was a cultural war. And they, they had a massive tidal wave coming at us with mostly emotions. But mom and I, your grandmother, your grandfather, we said this. We're going to go to the Bible and find out what it says. And what it says, and it's clear, we'll do. We'll do whatever it says. What would Jesus do? And that's what we did. We sat down and we prayed and we said, what would you do? What would you do, Jesus? And we did everything he said. That's what we want to be. We want to be a church without regret. We want to be a church that says, yeah, I was there and it wasn't popular and we did it anyway. We gave sacrificially. We volunteered sacrificially. We did everything and anything that God would call us to do. Why? Because in God's value system, every human life is sacred. That's what we do here. Can I pray for you, Mary? Yes. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we lift up Mary to you, and uh, what a godsend she has been to the Austin source. And I ask you to continue to strengthen her, make her strong and courageous. The staff at the source, I'd ask that you'd surround them and protect them, deliver them from evil and from temptation. God, I ask that you'd protect their marriages, that they would see spiritual war in their living room, and the moment it happens, that they would have strong and loving and supporting families. Lord, I'd ask for our church that we would be strong and courageous, that we would be overflowing with generosity towards any ministry that is is stepping into um, this violation of all things that you care so much about, that you would send your son to give his life for this. We'll do what we can Mm -hmm. to keep these little children alive. So, Lord, let us be a church that makes you proud and lives a life that's biblical Christianity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.